Hello, hola, hello, bienvenidos to Vida aka Live Podcast. Muchas gracias. Thank you for listening in today. Okay, I first wanted to remind everyone if you or anyone you know that you think should come on the podcast, uh, please hit me up at Vida aka Life at yahoo.com. Let me know and we'll make it happen. Also, if you're on Instagram, follow the podcast on there at Vida aka Life Podcast. All right, let's get started. All right, so today I have an old friend of mine. We actually started talking again because of Facebook. <laughs> Karen, go ahead and yeah. Karen. Um, I'm Karen. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know what? I always find it so like I put on the spot because I hate center of attention, which is kind of ironic <laughs> that I'm doing this when people are like, introduce yourself. So I've had to do that a lot recently because I started a new job uh-huh. okay. and then it makes it even more awkward because they're like, everybody introduce yourself. Where are you from? And I'm like, I'm from a lot of places. And they're like, oh, mm-hmm. that's a big story. And like, it makes people, you know, it makes people think. Like, I'm super chaotic, which I guess is kind of true. But anyway, long story. Yeah. I'm Karen. <laughs> yeah. You're freaking awesome. Oh, uh, so let's tell the story about how we met. So okay. we went to elementary school together, but we were not friends. We knew of each other. I don't know if you remember, but do you remember you had a crush on this one um, boy? And one of my friends had a crush on that boy. And then... I guess uh, we knew you had a crush on him too, and that was like a no-no. Do you remember? Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I well, I remember <laughs> having a crush on a boy in like elementary or like middle school for like ever, and I was like, I mean, now <laughs> thinking about it, it was probably like an unhealthy obsession. Oh my god! <laughs> you, you remember the guy I had a crush on for all of elementary? No, not in much school, middle school. Oh, yeah, 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 I remember. Yeah, and I was actually, I was looking through that notebook the other day, and I was like, I am so dumb. (laughs) Joy, freaking love. Do you remember how we met in elementary school? I mean, not elementary school, middle school. I don't, honestly, I think my first memory of you for some reason in middle school was... mm, my mom and I think it was maybe your dad or I guess maybe your mom went to a conference and I don't know why we were there, but we were both there and we're like, I guess we're just going to sit together where our parents are at this meeting. Yeah. And, but that's like the first time that I remember like spending time with you. I remember <laughs> what else I found. I found some picture from when like you and Michelle were in like color guard and I was in oh. band and right. I, I um like we took like this picture in like some random like um fair thing and it was it was a rough day for everyone that day. <laughs> we were in drill team, weren't we? Or top us. Oh, I don't remember what it was called. It was the thing where you guys kept like moving your hands and what was that? Drill? The drill team. Drill team, I guess. That was drill team. Mm-hmm. I remember that. That was actually kind of fun, like going to the parades and like practicing. But mm-hmm. anyway. So we became close in middle school. We would like write notes to each other. We had like these notebooks. We would trade back and forth. Mm-hmm. And I remember when I was visiting my mom a couple years ago, uh, we were like 
cleaning out the living room and I found this it's like a it was like this old school like notebook and on the front I had I had written in a whiteout pen Karen and Nancy's best friends forever. <laughs> That's so cute. Super cute. We were so cute. <laughs> we were. Yeah. We we're so innocent. Do you remember like we 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 never wore makeup or anything like that. We had like these crushes on boys, but we never talked to them and we never wanted them to know. Oh, I know, I know. And then now looking back on it, it's like, then what was the point of us there making was such the- a big deal? Because we were like, I'm sure if they would have been like, hey, do you want to go hang out? Be like, absolutely not. <laughs> I know, we would never. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I don't even know what, but anyway, it was a good childhood, I think. I think so, I agree. So we're very good. We wouldn't really go over to each other's houses. Like, I think I would go to your house, like, after school. But then you wouldn't. I think you only came over to my house, like, once. Yeah. Oh, I was never allowed to go anywhere. I did not have a sleepover until I moved to Kentucky when I was 16. That was the first time that I ever had a sleepover. And I think it took an act of Congress for them to let my mom, for my mom to let me go over there. Was she, like, parked outside waiting for you? No, like she made my friend's dad had to come and ask for permission at my house. And I'm like, mom, it's not that serious. And I was already 16 and he like came in and was like, okay, well, I'll bring her back, blah, blah, blah. And and then I was allowed to go over there. But I mean, it was serious. But I think she let me because my dad wasn't around anymore. And I think that was if she was like more lenient a little bit towards me then. How are you with your kids? Do you think you're like strict like that? Or do you, will you be? No, I'm, well, with Matthew, he's six. Well, he's going to be six this coming week. And with him, I am um, a little bit more, I demand more of him um, in in a way of, in a way of like, um, you need to do your bed. Like I, he's like, well, I can't do it. I said, well, I just need you to try your best. Uh So I need him to do that. I tell him like one of his chores is that he has to like take out the utensils from the dishwasher and Uh put those back. So, I mean, they're not hard things, but Uh sometimes people are like, well, he's just a little kid. He doesn't need to be doing stuff like that, but he needs to learn, I think, to do a lot of stuff because I grew up and my brother was never expected to do any chores in the house and I was always expected to do them. So for me, it's, I need everybody to be mm-hmm. equal. So yep, yep, yep. I completely agree with you. So you have Matthew and then you have Lauren. Lauren. Oh, she's so cute. It's so precious. So how is it being a mommy of two? Well, I got a crash course on it because she was born and then two weeks later is the time that I had to recover from my c-section and that was Matthew's last day of school and the pandemic started so I went from no from one kid to you have a baby but you're getting tons of help because you had a c-section to okay well here's your two kids and you can't go anywhere you can't see anyone so super crash course on two kids it's so hard yeah so you only got two weeks 
Um, with Lauren by myself, like mm-hmm. at home before okay. like learning to juggle two kids. But no, I had like 14 weeks of maternity leave. Oh, wow. That's the same that you would get here in California. That's nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 14 weeks. And um, but but I only got that because of my job, because I have worked there for so long that I have accumulated that much time off. Mm-hmm. Got it. Got it. Did it go by quick? Um, yes and no, because I was um, quarantined for the majority of it. Mm-hmm. So uh, um, yes, in the aspect that um, time goes by fast when you're taking care of children. And yep. no, because I was stuck inside taking care of children. <laughs> they grow up so quick before you know it. They're like one. It's crazy mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Do you guys want to have more? No, thank you. <laughs> no. I no, I have had very hard pregnancies and that can be a whole like listen, I can talk about hours about my tough pregnancies, but it pregnancies are very I would love very that. I love me. talking about that. Uh-huh. They're very hard on me physically and emotionally and mentally. Like they take everything out of me like excessively and I they're just so hard on me and then Matthew's delivery it was geez Louise like the it was awful was it uh-huh yeah I was in I labored for 27 hours and the epidural never worked it worked for like 30 minutes um and I would keep calling the anesthesiologist and saying this is not working it's just not working. I can feel yeah. everything. And it just, they're like, well, it, it looks like it's in there. Right. And it just never worked. Oh and gosh. then I, I, I pushed for two hours <gasps> and then they were like, okay, well he's stuck. So we ended up doing an emergency C-section. And by that time I was so hungry. I was so mm-hmm. tired. And then because the epidural never worked when they were going to do the C-section, I was like, I know what you're like, I can still feel you touching my legs. And they said, no, you can't. And I said, yes, yes, I can. I said, okay, well, which leg am I touching? And I said, you're touching my right leg. And I said, they said, okay. So they had to put me completely under general anesthesia. Oh and um, because of because I was put completely under, uh, Ross, my husband, wasn't allowed to be in the room. So um, nobody saw Matthew be born. Uh, my husband said that he just heard Matthew cry. And oh. he said, well, I guess he's born. And that was like such a traumatic experience for me. He was born at five, like 5.35 in the morning. I mm-hmm. don't remember waking up and really seeing Matthew until about mm-hmm. noon. Wow. So that was such a long time. It was super traumatic. It was the longest sure. labor. I'm sh- and oh my God. Yeah. So then when I was pregnant with Lauren, I was like, I am so scared. Mm-hmm. I was so scared mm-hmm. to go um, whenever it was time to deliver her. And I knew that I was going to have a C-section because I wasn't trying to be a hero. So <laughs> I was just going to be like, yep, C-section schedule it. Let's do it. And so mm-hmm. I was like so anxious. I was freaking out. I was like, what if it happens again? And I like my one of my biggest sadness was that nobody saw him be born and he was my first baby and I didn't want that to happen. So then they gave me medication so that I could chill out whenever Mm -hmm. I was going to go into the operating room. And I guess I was like super like high. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I walked into the operating room and I was like, this room isn't as big as the ones on Grey's Anatomy. The ones on Grey's Anatomy are so much bigger. And the doctors were like, yeah, I mean, I guess. 
<laughs> and my husband was just like, Karen, stop talking about Grey's Anatomy. They don't care. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, but but you got to see her be born. Yes. Yeah, we got to see her be born. Yay. So you have your two little kids, your children, and your mm-hmm. husband. How long have you guys been married? We just celebrated eight years of marriage. Wow. And we've been together 14 years. So before all of that, you were a little girl in Cali. But before mm-hmm. that, you were born in Mexico, right? Yeah, Tijuana, yeah. Tijuana. And then your parents came to Monrovia, California. Because mm-hmm. of your dad's work, right? Mm-hmm. Well, my dad, um, so just so that this makes sense, my mom and my dad are originally from Mexico City. And my dad and my whole family on both sides, on my mom and my dad's side of the family, work in the racetrack. And like four races. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like my dad was a jockey. Um, okay. He The racetrack in Mexico City then closed down. So people started moving to the racetrack in Tijuana. And they were there. And I grew up there, like going to the races and everything was fine there. But then that racetrack shut down. And then everybody started migrating again, but this time to the United States, to the track in Santa Anita in Arcadia. Mm-hmm. So my dad... And I, to the best of my knowledge, as I can recollect, I probably should have asked my mother, but they, my dad moved when I think my brother, maybe my brother was like one and we didn't, and he was there living um, in Los Angeles and we were still in Mexico and he was just doing like sending money, coming, seeing us every periodically. And then once um, Alan was three and I was seven then we moved to um, to Monrovia with him. Mm. I I only remember meeting your dad once. He was like never there when I would go over, except one time. Really? You know what? He was probably sleeping a lot because he was always there. But he was probably sleeping because he would get up and he would be at work at like four a.m. Mm-hmm. and then he would work until like eleven or noon. So a lot of times he would come home and go to sleep and then he would wake up whenever it was like dinner time. Oh, I see. That's probably what it was. Yeah. But but then you moved like abruptly to Kentucky. I remember, I think it was, I know we weren't in school because I remember I got, you called me and you're like, Nancy, uh, you, you need to come see me. And I was like, why? And you're like, oh, because I'm moving. And I was like, what? And you're like, yeah, I'm moving to Kentucky. And I was like, what the hell? So then I was scrambling to try to find a ride. But if you remember anything, you remember my parents were like never around. They're always mm-hmm. working. I can never catch a ride. <laughs> so I yeah. wasn't able to get a ride. And then, but I remember Excel did go see you. And then she, and then I asked her like, what happened? What did she tell you? Like, why are you, why is she moving? And she's like, well, she, she didn't really tell me. She's just, she's, she's moving to Kentucky. <laughs> and, we kept in contact for a little bit, but we definitely lost contact because we weren't as close anymore. Like we were super close in middle school, but then mm-hmm. high school pulled us in like different directions. Like, we were still hanging out, but we were mm-hmm. different. We weren't connected the same way. Yeah, no. So then by no. the time you left, like I was, I remember I was sad, but then at the same time, like we weren't as close anymore, but I was still like, what happened like why did she move and I never really Mm -hmm. understood exactly what happened 
Well, and I remember that, that I called, I, it was, it was a very like, yeah, it was a very abrupt thing. Um, a decision-making and I'll tell you in a minute why, but I remember scrambling to like call people and be like, I'm leaving because it literally was, my mom said we're moving. And four days later we were on the road. So it was very abrupt. And I remember like I called Eva and I called, I remember that was when I would hang out with like Brianna and Stephanie. Oh, yeah. Do you remember them? Yeah. yeah. So I called them and like, and like, yeah. I couldn't get a hold of Eva and I couldn't get a hold of anybody else. And like, I mean, obviously we, were, we weren't even driving. So it was like, Hey, get somebody to tell somebody to come drive you over here randomly, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and it wasn't, I mean, it was super different that you couldn't call an Uber or anything, but um, yeah. So my parents, and I don't even know, you know what, this is probably going to be interesting because I blocked out a lot of the stuff that I grew up with because I grew up in a very chaotic household. Like the cops were always at my house and they, it would just, yeah, it, it was a, yeah, it was a lot of domestic violence in my house. Like I would call 911 and hang up and hide in the closet with Alan. And Gosh. I, it, like it was, it was bad. And it was my dad, my dad was, I mean, he was an alcoholic and a drug addict, but not in a way um, that it, like I was neglected as a child. I was not. He, he self um, deteriorated himself. He would go, he would go get drunk or would go get high and would come home and sleep. Like he would just like tie to himself or he just wouldn't come home at all. But then when he would come home, my mom would be super upset. And then she would start fighting with him over it. And then that would cause her to have a lot of stress issues because she wouldn't know how he was going to show up at the house. But my dad would never show up like drunk or high or anything and like start fighting or yelling at us or hurting us or anything like that. Like my dad never yelled at me. My dad never like hit me. He never cursed at me ever. Mm. He was just an alcoholic and a drug addict and clearly not a good example of somebody you would want around your children. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was very chaotic. So at that point, before then, my dad was like, I'm leaving. And he just, he literally gathered random items throughout the household and picked up his stuff. And they both, my mom and my dad, each signed the pink slips to each other's cars And my mom went and withdrew all the money from the bank. She went and paid off her credit cards. And um, we went and rented a U-Haul and started packing up. And she, they, my mom asked us, do you, me and my brother, do you want to move to Kentucky or do you want to move to Tijuana? And I was like, I'm not going to Tijuana because I don't know how to like, I mean, I know how to speak Spanish, but I, I know that I. It's another country. Yeah. Well, I, and I could not hold myself intellectually with somebody equivalent to me here like mm-hmm. I I have a master's degree and I know that I cannot intellectually be up to par with somebody in the same educational um, background in Mexico I just I don't have the language to do that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so and and I didn't grow up there you know it's mm-hmm. I'm not used to it and so we're like I guess it's Kentucky so but why Kentucky like you guys have family over there Mm-hmm. Yeah. So remember I said that my um, family on both sides is from the racetrack. So my uncle, um, oh, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> yeah. My uncle was um, working at a farm in San, not at a farm, 
a, not a farm. What do they call them? Like a ranch or something? I don't know. Something like that. And I guess it was a farm in San Diego. And they were telling people that, um, cause they breed a lot of the horses are they're It's breeding ground here in Kentucky right. and which is, they have the Kentucky Derby. And so, um, they, this is where they, they house them, they grow them and then they, they go out. So they, that farm had a link here to Kentucky and they said, we need a bunch of people. We will pay for your housing, your transportation. If you guys go work there, my uncle was like, sure. So he moved his family. And so whenever it was time to move, um, my mom and my brother and I had been here the Christmas before and it was super cheap. Like the economy, like it had a lot to offer. The houses were very affordable. There was a lot of job and so, or employment. So there, she said, I, I know that I can do it there because her biggest hurdle was I'm not going to be able to support my kids as a single mom in California mm-hmm. because she knew mm-hmm. that my dad wasn't going to give her any money. Mm-hmm. So she thought it would be easier to do it on her own in Kentucky. So wow. we packed up our stuff and, and drove for four days to get wow. to, to Kentucky. And my mom drove the U-Haul that was hauling all of our house stuff. And the U-Haul was hauling our Explorer. And she drove it all the way from California to Kentucky. Wow. How did you feel about that? Were you scared? Were you sad? Excited? No, I was, I was glad that it was happening because I remember in, um, in fifth grade, I would tell people my parents are getting divorced. They weren't getting divorced. I just wanted them to get divorced. So I think that when they, when they were like, we were finally leaving and there was going to be a separation, I was happy that it was mm-hmm. happening. And I was like, I don't care where we go. I just, I need to get out of here for that aspect. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to leave my friends and, you know, where I grew up, but I just couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. Right. And I think at the end of the day, like your family always comes first, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So then, and being in Kentucky from California was a huge culture shock. (laughs) Oh my God. I can imagine. It was like my first year here. It was awful because it was completely different in California. Remember how in California there weren't, it wasn't like there were, I guess there were cliques, but they weren't cliques as far as like racially. It wasn't, Mm -hmm. it was more of like, you know, there were like, the Mexican um, kids, but then it would be like Mexican kids who are sporty. And then it would be like, you know, mm-hmm. it was just like more of what you were into. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like the skaters or, you mm-hmm. know, like oh, the yes. punk rock or whatever. Right. So it mm-hmm. was more split up into like what you were into, how you identified like you as a person, not right. of you like racially. Mm-hmm. And here in Kentucky, clearly it was. When I moved here, I graduated with literally seven Hispanic kids there were seven Hispanic kids in my graduating class of like 300 and something kids oh my gosh wow seven there were seven of them and then when I moved here it was that I was expected to hang out with them because that's just where I fell and that's where I was supposed to but then I was like I don't I'm gonna be friends with whoever I want to regardless Mm -hmm. of what their race or culture or whatever it is that does it, me being Mexican does not, is not my identity. Like 
like that's the only thing that I identify with. Mm-hmm. So uh, that was hard because then they didn't like me, but it was like not it's it has nothing to do with you personally. It's just that I don't want to be forced into a friendship with somebody just because of who you are. Mm-hmm. So that was hard. And then they had um, tractor day. There were literally tractors parked wow. in front of the high school. And I mean, we came from, I mean, we had, I remember that I loved so much that we had a pool in Monrovia and we can go swimming for our PE class. So oh, I yes. I remember From that. Things, things like that to there's a tractor day. And I was like, why are there tractors that? in the front yard? Yeah. Yeah. It was super awkward. And then um, winter, there was an ice storm, my very first winter here. And it was so cold. <laughs> but now oh I've God, gotten I used to it. Never. It was very odd for me to transition. It was nothing was the same. Everything here is or was when I went to high school was very preppy. Um, I did not get along with any of the kids because it was completely. Besides the fact that I moved here when I was 16 and even moving when you're 16 is hard. But move when you're 16 across the country to a very polar opposite of what you've grown up with it like I don't know that there's anything more polar opposite than California to Kentucky and um I just I didn't like it I didn't get along I was having to learn a new dynamic of being without my dad um it's humid here whenever it's summertime and the winters are cold it snows there's ice um and like in high school, you weren't allowed to leave the cafeteria. You had to stay and do your lunch in the cafeteria. And I remember in California, I was so looking forward to being a junior because you could leave campus for lunch. Right. Mm-hmm. So I never got to experience that. And I was like, wait a minute, I can't even go in the hallway. Like we can't go outside. It's like you could never go outside. You were stuck inside the school building at all times. You could never go anywhere oh, outside wow. because it's if it's hot, it's humid outside. And if it's cold, then it's really cold. So really the only times that you can really actually be outside, I mean, you can be outside whenever you want to, but weather permitting, there's limited time frames for that. It was, it was very odd. Did you miss your dad? No, I didn't miss my dad until, um, after I graduated from college until big things started happening in my life again, because I think that you have kids and I've started noticing it with my children. You have points in your life when they're little, obviously, you know, they start smiling, they start eating solids. They, Mm -hmm. you know, they start walking, they start running, they start reading. You'd go through those spaces when you're little of learning so much and then it kind of stops and it kind of becomes you know, mundane things every day happens until you reach about 16 and then new things start happening again. You get your driver's license, you, um, you graduate from high school, they, they move you into your dorm, um, you, you experience finals for the first time in college, you graduate from mm. college, you get your, get your first big kid job, you get married, you have kids. Mm. Whenever those things started happening to me again, like the big things um, mm. when I graduated from college, those are the things when I started missing my dad. And, and when I had my daughter, um, Lauren, in February, that's when I, I, I thought about my dad again. And before that, it had been a while where I hadn't thought about him. So it, I went a while without really, but I cried over the loss of my dad for a long time. And that's when I started, I started seeing a therapist. 
when oh. I graduated from college. Would he ever reach out to you? Would you guys reach out to him? No. Um, well, and in a little backstory, my dad, I try to think about it now. And I think that my dad, he just never had a good chance. He didn't know how to be a good parent because he didn't have a good parent. Um, his dad was killed when he was two years old. Uh, his dad was actually walking um, to the hospital to pay the hospital bill for my grandma because she had just delivered the baby and somebody tried to rob him and they killed him. And so then my grandma was left with literally a newborn in the hospital and three kids. And so, and then his mom died when he was 17 from leukemia and she was not a very good mom. She had, you know, a lot of issues, but, um, he never knew how to be a parent, but so I think that I like to hope that my dad did love me because I can, I know how much you love your children. Mm -hmm. Um, so I would like to think that, and he was never a mean person to me. He, he never hurt me in any way. Um, mm -hmm. but he was, he never really reached out. It was very, um, he victimized himself a lot. He would call me and ask me, well, what did you have for dinner today or something? And I would be in college and I would say, I don't know. I just, I picked up Chick-fil-A real quick. And he would say, well, I had a McDonald's too. And I had to eat by myself. And I'm like, okay, cool, but you're the adult and you left me, literally, <laughs> you left. So it, was, it wasn't, he wanted me to feel, I think that he wanted me to feel bad for him and be like, I'm so sorry, dad, if we were still together as a family, then it would have been mm -hmm. fine. But we could have been a family because you didn't know how to do that, how to do mm -hmm. that role properly. You mm -hmm. chose drugs over it. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know, trust me, I know that it, it's an, an addiction is a disease and that he was sick and that mm -hmm. he would much rather have been with me and my family, but, or my brother and I, but he just, he didn't want to. And I say that because, um, he was sober many times, different years throughout the 18 years that I left California mm -hmm. and he would be sober for, you know, three years at a time, a year here and there. So when he was sick, I understand that he was sick, but there were times during his sobriety where he was going to Alcoholics Anonymous. And one of the steps is for you to reconcile and own your, right. your failures. And yes. he never did. So he did try to reach out very sporadically, but the last time that I truly talked to my dad was probably in like 2009. Mm. And then he just recently died um, in June of this year. Wow. And that was hard on you, you said? Um, it was, it was very, it's hard. I like, I still didn't even know how to process it because how do you grieve someone who's been gone for so long? But that's also your dad, you know, it's a part of you, literally. Right. And I mourn the relationship that I never had. I mourn um, for myself. Like, I feel sad for myself that I was never granted the permission, not the permission, but, you know, the chance to be able to see that caller ID that says dad or call your dad after work and say, Hey, guess what happened to me today? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I miss that. I, I want that. And that makes me sad. But now that he honestly, like now that he's, he's gone, it kind of makes it easier 
in a way because I don't have those constant reminders of what is he doing? Does he love me? Why did he do that? Why did he do this? It's kind of like, yeah. I just let it go. Mm-hmm. Like it is what it is at that yeah. point and there's nothing I can do about it. Right. Wow. I think that's a really healthy way of looking at it. Oh, no well, matter what, I mean, he's your dad, you know, so mm-hmm. I, you know, I can only imagine really. Yeah, it was very hard. Um, but we, uh, he was cremated and, um, uh, my brother, my mom, and I had his um, remains sent to us, and he's actually with my brother. My brother wanted mm-hmm. to keep him, and it was and very periodically during that time. It was hard because, like, the first time that I saw in quotes my dad again was a man from the post office bringing him to me in a box. Mm-hmm. Like that was very like this is real. Like it was, it was, it was a very hard. And I cried a lot, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things in my life that I can put it in what doesn't make you truly makes you stronger. Like Alan, how how did Alan take it? Like, was he closer to your dad? No. um, Well, Alan was 12 when we left and Alan just turned 30. So that's a long time of, especially for a little boy, I think being 12 and not having your dad anymore but for Alan um and I don't know about how your brothers or uh, other men or boys around in your life how they deal with it with any kind of emotions but my brother was just like I'm not talking about it like I'm not dealing with this this isn't my thing like it it is what it is I'm not gonna sit and ponder on it so whenever our dad passed away he took it a lot harder than I did in the aspect that he was having to face those emotions that he had pushed aside for so long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I was more angry than upset mm-hmm. during that time. And your mom, like, did she ever remarry or? Yeah. My mom remarried. Wow. That's so good. I, I loved your mom. I thought she was such a good person. I remember, um, she would always give me rides. She'd always give us food. <laughs> Do you remember every time oh. we went over, she would like bring us like chips and salsa or like whatever you guys had or to drink. And I thought that was so cool. But she was oh. such a nice woman. I, I, I still remember the biggest memory I have of your mom is in, when we graduated fifth grade, you got the presidential award for something. I don't I know. Did. They called your name <laughs> during the, the fifth grade ceremony. And your mom went crazy. She's like, oh, God, I got it, And she started, like, running to the front to take a picture of you. She was, I just remember thinking, like, oh, man, like, she really loved her daughter. And we weren't, like, we, we weren't really friends at that time. But I, I, I remember that, like, it was yesterday. Like, we were, Aww. like, she was yeah. pretty for you. She always was. She was so supportive of you and Alan. I just remember she was such a good, a good mom to you guys. She's a really, really good mom. I know that everybody says, like, my mom's the best, but my mom really is the best. She <laughs> she worked so hard. I graduated undergrad. Alan and I both under, graduated undergrad with no loans. She uh-huh. never got any child support money from my dad, ever. And um, she paid for my school, and she paid for all of Alan's school, and anything that I needed 
I, she did it. She, she would work 12, 14 hour days, six days a week, um, for the longest time until I got married. And then she stopped working on Saturdays. And now she's still, there are times where she's, it's seven thirty, eight o'clock and she's just on her way home from work. And she's just like, I got to pay this house off. I got to pay this house off. And because she said that she wants to enjoy retirement and she works so hard. She's the best grandma. She keeps mm-hmm. Matthew all the time. She's like, sleepover, Matthew, sleepover. And Matthew's like, duh, I want to go to sleepover at grandma's. <laughs> so he's, she's, she's the best mom. I love my mom so much. She's, she's a very good woman. She'd yeah. Always, I remember like she'd always, cause, cause we did soccer together. What else did we do together? Um, like after school stuff. Cause I remember she would always drive us like whatever we had going on. Really? But I was like, yeah, I don't know. Like, <laughs> like, yeah, I, I remember whatever we did, she'd always give us a ride. I just remember that. I mean, yeah, I, she, she did drive me around all the time for everything. <laughs> and she would, yeah. And even, I mean, and even my dad, they would go with me to go like soccer games and stuff. Cause I remember I would finish um, soccer practice for the high school and then they would pick me up and take me to soccer practice for my rec team. And I was just like always doing something. I was, that's all I ever did. All I ever did was play soccer all the time. And I think a lot of the, like my growing up, a lot of my memories are with soccer because I, I put so much attention or so much of my mindset into that instead of what was going on at home. Yep, we tend to do that. But that was, yeah, but that was like, so I guess, and you know, sometimes I think about it, I guess I never talked about what was going on at home or you guys, my friends never saw anything odd out of me. No, I, not with me. At least not with me. I didn't know anything about your dad. I mean, I I always thought he was working, to be honest with you. And I thought I remember thinking you guys were like doing pretty good financially. Like I didn't think you guys were like rich or anything, but you guys were like very stable, like financially at least it seemed like. So I just remember mm-hmm. thinking like probably always working. Like that's why, you know. Yeah. No. And then your mom was so. Like, she was such a good mom. I, I, I never thought anything was up, to be honest with you. Oh, well, that's good. <laughs> no, it was honestly, my mom just was just like super, like now we make fun of her because it was like, gosh, she was like, just like, she conserved so much money just so that we can like make sure that everything was being in case my dad go did go like on a bender but it was like to the extreme sometimes like sometimes we make fun of her like you know when you go to like sam's or costco you can get like those fountain sodas and they're like 50 cents right Mm -hmm. so they were probably cheaper then they're probably like a quarter then but anyway so i think they were yeah so then we we would have to split a soda all (laughs) of us and then it would have to go get refills and i'm like why can't we just spend the dollar and then yeah. I remember, um, like whenever we went to the store, well, I grew up and like, we never had any chips. Like the only kind of chips we ever had were tortilla chips, if there were going to be chips, but like Cheetos, Doritos, forget about it. That never happened in my house. And, um, we were, if we were allowed to get a candy bar, Alan and I, we had to get candy bars that were of two. So like Kit Kats, because that mm-hmm. had more than one or like Twix, you know, <laughs> things that had multiple so that Alan and I could split it. And that's because she just wanted to make sure that, but, but I mean, I always had like nice tennis shoes and I always had like my, uh, like Adidas jacket. Remember the Adidas jacket? I was about to say that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
but my freaking guys, Adidas I, jackets were like everything. Yeah. Remember, I was Nike and you were Adidas. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I mean, I had those Adidas jackets, but I did not have that quarter soda from Sam. <laughs> so let's talk about your um, your job. What do you do? You got your schooling, you got your master's. Mm-hmm. Um, well, actually, I, what did you get your undergrad in? Um, I have my undergrad in criminal justice in Spanish. So I did a double major. That's and I did, um, Eastern Kentucky University. Okay. EKU. Um, and I did criminal justice because I wanted to be a cop because I wanted to help kids. Um, because that was the only time that I ever felt safe was whenever the cops would show up at my house. So I wanted to do the same. But then um, halfway into my major, I was like, I'm not really into this criminal justice thing. Like, I don't want to be a cop. I want to be a detective. But then that would require me to be a cop first. And I don't really want to do that, but I'm too committed. So I was like, I'll just do this. So then, um, and then I graduated, which I'm sure you did too, in 2008, like in the middle of the recession. It was the worst. I graduated and in 2010. Oh, 2010. Okay. There's a okay. whole story so, behind that. But anyways. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. So in 2008, I was like the middle of the recession. And it was just That's like, it, just, it wasn't working. There was nothing. There was no mm-hmm. jobs. Like mm-hmm. I was having to fight for a starting job. Somebody who had like 15 years of work experience for like an mm-hmm. entry level type of job. So clearly wow. somebody else was going to have it. So I got a job at CPS at Child Protective Services. And well, before that, I worked at the jail. So I worked at the county jail and I was working 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. And it's such a small jail that it was like, I would do the booking, I would do like the front desk stuff, I would do the control room, which means that you would like open and unlock the doors, um, pass out the food, like literally anything that correctional officers do. I was doing that from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. And I did that for about, I don't know, like nine months and I could not handle it anymore. So I got a job. I started applying anywhere and everywhere that would that I would qualify for. And then I got a job in child protective services. Mm-hmm. So um, I did that for 10 years. And I just recently left there. And now I am a, um, then I went back to school because where I was working, you didn't need a master's degree to keep moving up. It was, it got to the point where if you had five years of work experience within the um, company, within the field, then it was equivalent to a master's degree. So you didn't need it, but there was nowhere else that I was going to go with child protective services. You can move up, but there is going to be so much more liability, so much more stress. And it honestly just got to the point where I I couldn't handle being like having that secondary post-traumatic stress all the time. Mm -hmm. And um, so I went back to school and at that point it was, you have a, bachelor's degree but experience in something that isn't the same so I went back to school and I got my master's in social work and um, I graduated last year and after so we had put off having another baby until after I graduated from school so that I could go back to school because I knew that I wasn't going to be able to to do both because with social work 
um, I was going to have to do a two-year program because I did not have my undergrad in social work. So because of that, it had to be a two-year program. So I had to go to school full-time while working full-time. And I had a practicum, which is like an internship on top of going to school full-time. So that was 15 hours a week. So and you I had was, your son and your husband. Yeah. So I would leave my house at like 730 and mm-hmm. I wouldn't come home until like 11 at night. So I there would be like, I wouldn't see Matthew for three or four days at a time because of the way that the schedules lined up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my husband just did it on his own and he was a champ and he's, he's my favorite for doing that for me. And um major kudos to Roth, huh yeah he did it he was a single dad for two years <laughs> and um he um yeah but then I graduated and then I graduated in May and I got pregnant in June wow. with Lauren <laughs> yeah you guys are like and let's then, do this <laughs> no we were just like let's just let's just see what happens because with Matthew it was I was that person where it was like I gotta check my temperature I mm-hmm. got to mm-hmm. do the ovulation kit when like it was ovulate, very yeah. Yeah, it was very strategic and it took five months. So uh-huh. the time I was going to be like, well, let's just do whatever. And it, literally, literally, wow. it was right then. So now I just got a job and I am going to be, or I am a, a district, oh, sorry, a district mental health specialist for the school system. Wow. Uh, so what that means is that I am basically the kiddos therapist. So for middle schoolers. So I'm housed in a middle oh school. Gosh, middle school. Yeah. How ironic. And you're talking to your middle school best friend. It's funny. Uh-huh. I know. So, um, yeah. So, like, anything that they want to talk about. Um, one of the main things that I want to do is I want to start a program, um, mm-hmm. a support group for kids because I struggled so much with my different identities of I'm going to a school with a different an American culture and I'm going back home to a Hispanic culture. And mm-hmm. for me, I'm sure that for you, it was different because you had older siblings and maybe you were more emerged in the, in the culture by then. But for me, like my parents didn't speak English very well and they didn't know how to read or write it. So whenever Alan started knowing how to read, I had to sit down and read for Alan. Mm-hmm. I had to translate oh. everything for my mom, like mm-hmm. everything. Like mm-hmm. there are things that I probably should not even have been privy to, but because I was my mom's source of translation, I had yeah. to do it. Wow. And like a lot of that stuff. And it's just, it gives you such a, a, a different it's a self-esteem issue because I personally, I mean, I don't, obviously I'm Mexican, but I don't feel like a strong root to that because I didn't grow up there. I mean, I love my culture, but I don't feel like, you know how people are like die hard over whatever. I don't feel die hard about anything in my life. And and, and, and even like in the United States too, I'm like, I'm not from here. And especially because of how the world is right now, I don't feel like I'm wanted here. Like it just doesn't mm. feel, it, it's such oh a Oh my weird... gosh, Karen, you're hitting so many things. Oh my gosh. So many things I want to say about that. But yeah, yeah let's keep going. Yeah. So it just, I don't know. So the point of that is, is that I want to start a group. Because Mm -hmm. I remember being, when I was a kid, I used to all the time being called that I was whitewashed. 
And it wasn't that I was trying to be white. It's just that I wanted to blend in because I didn't want to stand out anymore because I Mm. didn't want to be singled out because I don't like having or being the center of attention. Mm. And I just wanted to blend in. I just don't want you to notice me. I just want to go in the group. Like, I just don't want to be singled out. And it wasn't that I have like a, like, I don't like for Kentucky, everybody here loves country music. Like that's the normal. I don't love country music. And, and whenever I was in like California, everybody liked, um, what's that guy's name? Lupillo Rivera. Not into him. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. Not into him. Like I just, I don't. That's right. Oh my gosh. Lupillo Rivera. Yeah. Yeah. I just like, I'm not like, I I don't want to conform to all these, like, it's not stereotypical. I don't even know if I'm explaining it right. It's just like. No, you are. You are. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. I just don't want to be pushed into something just because it should be the norm for me. And then because it should be the norm, I think I gravitate more like opposing it because it's being Mm -hmm. pushed on me in some way. Mm -hmm. So um, anyway, Mm -hmm. so I want to help kids with that finding your you're already having to struggle in middle school because your body is changing you're having to adapt to your hormones everybody else's hormones and Mm -hmm. learning how and everybody's telling you how to adapt to all that yeah and then you go home and it's a completely different thing than what you are being told at school and it's hard Mm -hmm. it's hard having to balance both of those so I want to start this support group for kids so they can know that, hey, it's not just you. It happens to everyone. If you were the things that I learned mm-hmm. to, to help oh, me with that. that. I freaking love that. Yeah. So that's my new job, and I'm so excited to start it. But the stink pandemic, the kids are okay. virtual. Let's talk about the pandemic. What are your thoughts on it? I, I am, I'm upset that this has turned into, the pandemic has turned into a political thing when it should not be political. Ugh. I hate that. I know. I know what you but mean. The, but in the reason that it has turned political is because President Dude has mm-hmm. not does not know how to handle it. He did not know how to rightfully stand his ground and say, This is obviously okay. I have so many feelings about this that sometimes I like get so worked up and I don't even know how to properly express myself. So he oh, just good. did not he just did not know how to convey to the American people that this is a pandemic, clearly. This mm-hmm. is gonna be killing thousands and millions of people around the world, mm-hmm. and we need to be taking it seriously. This isn't forever. Like, nobody is right. telling you to quarantine into your house for the rest of your life. Right. Nobody is telling you mm-hmm. to sew a mask onto your face mm-hmm. forever. No one is telling you that you are not allowed to see your relatives for the rest of your life or go on vacation mm-hmm. ever again. It's temporary. Gosh. It's not forever. Like it, mm-hmm. And you know what? Honestly, I think it's that because in America, people are not used to having to have sacrifices. You go I anywhere know. else in any country, any other culture, they are used to making sacrifices to going without. They are used to being told how to govern, how to do things. Like in Mexico, they have certain cars that don't, that you're not allowed to operate on certain days. And people are just like, okay, well, it's not my day. And I move on. Like right. that would never fly here. People would be like, "You can't tell me what to do," and I well, think, yeah. and I that think, attitude, I think, uh huh. Go ahead, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say, I think that attitude combined with the president, it has just created even more of a chaos. I know. It makes me think about like, how did they ever pass these seatbelt laws? Like how? 
because that law is literally just to save you. Like the fact that somebody in somebody else's car is wearing their seatbelt doesn't matter to me at all. But yeah. somehow it got passed. Somehow everybody wears their seatbelt. But God forbid you tell people to wear a mask when you're in public. Yeah. Oh, oh, I know. And that's a good point. Yeah. I don't know what they, I mean, I'm sure that there was like uproars about everything, just how there were before, but this is over a mask. Like this isn't, the mask is not a civil rights movement. I don't understand why it's being, he has made it, he has handled it poorly, which has led to people, especially where I live to be even more ignorant. And it just, it blows my mind. Oh my gosh yeah well I, I i'm completely on board with you uh what about the black Lives matter movement how is that over here and over there in kentucky well here in kentucky is brianna taylor is from louisville here in mm-hmm. kentucky mm-hmm. so um and i lived in louisville for five years so i have a lot of friends that's where i started working in in cps so i I have a lot of a lot of friends there and it being in that culture it listen I went to I went with a lot of cops to remove a lot of children and the attitude and the portrayal that is being had by the police there does not surprise me how the court system and everything judicial is going on there does not surprise me because Okay, so for example, there was, um, okay, so in Child Protective Services, CPS does not remove the children. You need a court order. So even if I myself, as a CPS worker, think Nancy's kids need to be removed, I cannot do Mm -hmm. that. I need to Mm -hmm. go and present it in front of the judge, and the judge Mm -hmm. will say, you are right. Okay, go get her children. So judges and officers, well, let's start with the judges. The judges would grant um, emergency, um, orders for children to be removed over a lot less crimes, um, less severe crimes for Hispanics or black people than they Mm -hmm. would for white people. Wow. So whenever you would get white people, like, let's say I had a mom one time who had a DUI and the kids were in the car. By the time that I got the report and I went out to see her, she already had another DUI. So she had had two DUIs within, she literally got out of jail, went and got drunk again and got another DUI. And Mm. that little bit of just that, it was just like, okay, well, just, you need to go to classes. You need to do this. But I had a Hispanic mom who had left her kids home alone um, while she went to work. I mean, they were, she should not have done that because they were little, they were like four and two years old. You should not leave a four and a two year old Mm -hmm. alone while you go and work an Mm -hmm. eight hour shift. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, we removed those kids. I had to remove them. And then because we were there, the officer arrested her. And then she ended up getting deported. Oh because she went to work to do her job, to support her kids. Like, did mm-hmm. she make a bad call? Absolutely. Was that the, the best parental right. thing she could have done that day? No. But how is that? That is not any worse than the lady putting her kids in the car and getting a DUI. Ugh. Like, it's just, it's completely unfair. And the whole system is broken. And I saw that mm-hmm. documentary um, of what happened in California with that little boy. Oh, 
gosh, what is his name on Netflix? Um, Gabrielle, right? Gabrielle. Yeah. Gabrielle Fernandez, yeah. I think. Last name oh, is. yes. I yeah, saw that. I, I, it was so wretched. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my it, heart. Yeah. Broke. That was part of the reason where I had to leave CPS because seeing that type of stuff every single day and the workers are in such at the bottom of the totem pole that it doesn't matter what I say. I have to do what my supervisor does because mm-hmm. I mean, it's my job and you have to do what everybody above you tells you to do. But that whole situation was not handled well at all. Yeah, that was, that was really hard. I still cry every time. I, well, I still remember when that came out in the news when it first happened and it just, I, it would make me cry every single time and I watched that talk and I wasn't going to watch it and actually I told my sisters to watch it after I watched it and they were both like nope I'm not watching that I can't watch that and I was like yeah, yeah you should and they're like no no I cannot I cannot handle that and yeah yeah you know how like um I'm so um emotionally detached to that that looking at that documentary it was it didn't make me like it did make me sad but I didn't cry like it didn't break me because I I, saw it so much every day for 10 years that you I became so desensitized to it yeah I mean you'd have to I mean I don't think you'd be able to survive and be like mentally okay if you don't somehow you know desensitize yourself to all that yeah I can't even imagine yeah, but then that's also bad for the job because you, think you don't so? want people. Yeah, because you don't want people to be desensitized because you don't want them to like I don't want somebody because you get so many reports. So I've I've gotten a report over this little girl who her brother um, was sexually abusing her and posting pictures of uh, him raping her on TV. The FBI got involved. And so you're having to deal with all of that. And never mind, you have these 40 other kids that you need to make sure that you are keeping on top of. So which one do you tackle that day? Do you tackle the little girl who's being sexually abused? Do you tackle the DUI mom? Or do you now you have to go and remove this kid whose mom left him while she went to go work? Like, it's just so chaotic. And it's so much all the time. And it, I sympathize for those workers because the whole system is corrupt. Like they cannot possibly imagine or allow people to have to deal with stuff like that. Mm. And it's not fair for the little boy. Oh, yeah. Dang. That's freaking crazy. It's too much. Um, Sorry. So we really, we really need to have you back. Cause we didn't even talk about uh, some other stuff I wanted you to talk about, but, um, before you go, I want to I want to end on a good note, and okay. I don't want to dismiss what you're talking about because that's like really heavy stuff, and you are a freaking soldier for doing that for so long, and I'm so excited for you and your new job and for you to hear what goes on with that. So def- definitely, I'm so excited. Definitely, I'm so back. so excited. Yes, I'm <laughs> so excited to to help out kiddos. I, oh like, wait, I really quick, speaking it. about that, I saw something on Instagram. That you're you're doing like some kind of fundraiser or something like that for the homeless. I just looked at it real quick and I think I missed the post before because it just showed like that people had donated or something like that. Yeah, so I am gathering items for the homeless and I want to put together like goodie bags. So I have been gathering um, items um, that I, I posted on the 
on Amazon for people that you can or want to donate to it. And I'm going to put them together and then drive downtown and just hand them out to people who are homeless. So in there is going to be like um, um, bars of soap and Mm-hmm. Um, and towels and uh, disposable masks and mm-hmm. razors and um, like all lotion, all kinds of stuff for them to have. Um, Cause it just breaks my heart. And I just, I want to do something good and I want to do it on my dad's birthday. I want to hand them out on my dad's birthday. That's really, that's what a beautiful way to celebrate him. That's awesome. <sighs> I'm trying. Well, I'm good trying luck with to that. I love that. <laughs> I'm you. definitely going to look it up and donate. When does the donation stop? Well, I have been, no, super blessed by it because I think there's only like four things left. So people have been so kind. Do you remember Daisy from high school? She bought some stuff on there. She reached out to you and she bought some stuff on there. I don't even know. Daisy was on, I don't think I have her on like social media. Wow, that's so cool. Daisy has um, a little girl and you could swear you're looking at um, 15 year old Daisy again. (laughs) It's literally her twin. Yeah. Oh, so awesome. She was a really cool girl. Um, yeah. So let's end on a good note. Let's talk about your shirt charm goals, like what you want to get done in like a year, and then your long-term goals, so like five, ten years, or even more. Hmm. Okay. Short-term goals. Yeah. I want to do a lot of stuff to my house because while I was um, letting my um, husband and child um, survive on their own, <laughs> A lot of things just like went in the back burner. Um, So I want to do a lot of upkeeping to the house. Like I want to paint. I want to do a little bit of remodeling and stuff like that. So that's our short-term goals. Okay. Um, Long-term goals. These are really honestly things that I just, I want to do for myself. I want to excel at my job. Okay. um, With these kiddos. Like I want to give it my all and then some. Um. And I obviously want to be a good mom and a good wife. But I think overall, I my long-term goal is to fully find peace in my heart mm. for for my childhood and for my dad. That's beautiful. You will, Karen. You're going to get all that I'm stuff trying. I'm will. trying, girl. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm well, trying. thank you so much for um, talking to me. And I really want you to come back. Okay? So we got to find some more time for you to come back. Oh, absolutely. I love talking to you. And my husband's a rock star. He will watch the kiddos. Whenever. <laughs> yeah. Kudos to Ross. He seems like he's a really cool guy. You know, it'd be really he's cool if you guys both came on, like, did a little, like, chat about, because he's white and you're Mexican. So I would love to hear how that Oh, goes. my God. <laughs> that would, oh, my gosh. Yeah. It, it's, it, it's hard. It is, like, marriage itself is hard. Balancing two cultures when you're married, oh my god, it's hard. That could be a whole different thing because honestly, it it really, it really is hard. <laughs> I bet I can totally imagine. I mean, marriage already has so many things it is, and then you add to it. I care. Yeah, can't you do anything just like normal and easy? No, I gotta complicate <laughs> it to the max all the time, all the time. I'm totally kidding. All right. Um, <laughs> thank so you. Uh, thank you. And bye, Steven. Bye. Okay. Bye.